So today, we are going to finish a short series that we have been doing in the Psalms the past couple of weeks that I've called an oasis of art and soul. The Psalms are a piece of art. They are poetry. They use a lot of figures of speech and metaphors, sometimes some hyperbole and similes and those type of things you learned in English class. But they penetrate the soul, not only to the writer and not only to the nation of Israel that use the Psalms as their hymn book, but also to those of us who have lived these so many years later. And I said a couple weeks back that we did a summer in the Psalms a couple of years ago, and that's on our website, shadetreecc.org, if you want to look at some individual Psalms that we looked at over that summer. What I wanted to do in this series is talk about three things that you see repeated in the Psalms over and over and over again. And these three things are time, space, and matter. When you think about it, that's the essence of our existence. Time, we live in the course of time. Space, we live somewhere in this earth. And matter, what we do with the material universe. Now these three things we could easily take for granted but they are gifts that are given to us by God our Father and the creator of the universe. So by way of review, just for a moment, I want to remind you so you can see the big picture again as we finish this series today, God's time. We talked a little bit about the difference between God's time being eternal, stretching from eternity past into eternity future, while our time is temporal, we are only a dash or a dat on that long eternal line of God's existence. We said that God reveals himself, even though he's eternal, at points in time. And as he does so, in the moments of our time, we experience God in a variety of different ways. Then lastly, God being timeless His existence extends into tomorrow. Although our time is experienced in the past and in the present, the future is foggy. We don't know how much time we have left, so the psalmist tells us, Lord, teach us to number our days. Then we talked a little bit about God's place. And it's unusual for us to think about this God who we describe as omnipresent, that he's everywhere in the universe at the same time, yet revealing himself at a point in place. And what we have said is in the Old Testament, while God exists in the heavens, yet he reveals himself through tabernacles on earth. And we said the first being a portable tabernacle given to the nation of Israel when they were going through the wilderness, this tent-like structure where God dwelt and his glory could be seen. And when David, the king, comes along, he decides to build a permanent temple for Yahweh. God says, no, you're not going to build it, but your son Solomon is going to build it. And in Jerusalem, We find the building of the temple and God brings his glory into the Holy of Holies in the city of Jerusalem. We understand that this temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and then the nation of Israel tried to rebuild it. It was not comparable to the glory of Solomon's temple. But when a man by the name of Herod the Great comes along, and I want you to kind of keep that name in the back of your mind because he plays into the Christmas story as well. What you'll find is that he rebuilds the temple and he takes 
over 40 years to build this temple structure. And Jesus says, well, if you tear down that structure, I'll rebuild it in three days. And all of a sudden, where God meets mankind is no longer in a physical building, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And the rebuilding in three days is a subtle reference to his resurrection from the dead. Jesus does die. He, does, uh, he is raised from the dead. But he then begins this thing called the church, the family of God, brothers and sisters in the family of God. And it is there God continues to dwell among his people, and it is there that he reveals himself. And hopefully through each other, we learn more about God, we see God at work, not only in the world, but in each other's lives as well. So today, I want to talk about the material universe, or matter, and I'm calling this God's world. Today, we come to a celebration that God meets us in time, he meets us in a variety of ways, but there's the physicality of creation we often take for granted. And the physicality of creation is that which provides food and shelter for us, provides recreation, provides pleasure, provides beauty. Those are some of the things that we sang about in those two hymns earlier today. So this third one is a little bit tricky because within Christian circles sometimes, we've been kind of conditioned to downplay the physical creation because I don't know what your background is in uh, church and religion, but sometimes Christians have told other Christians, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Have you ever been told that? This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. What you'll find is while there is the promise of eternal life in the presence of God through the person of Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that is a temporal thing because God promises to renew the earth. And as he does so, this earth really is my home. And we are called to take care of it. We are called to steward it. So what we find is Christianity, coupled with Platonism, sometimes has a dim view upon the physicality of creation that it's either a place to be endured or it's a place that is to be used or possibly abused for our economic advantage. So what we find is in the Psalms, we find these type of things that are said that I just read in Psalm 65. But in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, we hear the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. It's almost as if the psalmist is saying we can look to the heavens and see the grandeur of God, but as we look on the earth and we see strawberries and apples and peaches and other things that we enjoy, we see the goodness of God. Does that make sense? We see the grandeur of God as we look up into the sky, but we see the goodness of God by what he provides. It brought back to mind an old song. I don't know if you remember this song or not, and uh, I'm not going to try to imitate it, but 
I bet you'll recognize these lyrics. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what? What a wonderful world. Louis Armstrong has that unique voice that he sang. He sang that song back in 1967. The second verse goes, I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And then the third verse is interesting. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. That's a great line, isn't it? They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. That is the viewpoint of the psalmist. The psalmist talks about the voice of God going out into all the earth. And the beauty and goodness of God is seen by what is made, what is provided, what we enjoy, and what we are thankful for. Now, sometimes we take our provisions for granted. Sometimes we take for granted the good gifts that God gives to us. And what we find is, while there are many good things that are, we find in life, there is also those things that bring us much grief as well. And so sometimes our grief can become so huge that it overwhelms us so that we can't see the goodness of the creation around us. And yet, what we find is it seems, as we look at the animal world, that they all are behaving as they should. It's really only human beings who are made in the image of God that has the capacity to not reflect the goodness of God. You know, trees behave like trees and rocks behave like rocks and the sea is and does with what the sea is and does. But the psalmist looks out on all of this and sees a shout of praise to the God who made it be and to flourish. And that's what you see here. You care for the land, you water it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain and they all shout for joy and sing. Boy, that's a great picture there. All of creation is giving praise to God because of what he has provided. And what we find is the exquisiteness of all that God has provided. The animal world, the trees, and uh, the material world around us is doing their job, and it bids us to ask this question. Am I doing my job? as one who is the benefactor of all of these gifts. Am I giving praise and thanksgiving to God? So this week is Thanksgiving. And what we are thankful for are the usual things like health and jobs and family. But as you know, the historical background to the first Thanksgiving was a meal that was shared between those who were first peoples on this Plant, uh, on this continent and those that were the first immigrants, the Indians and the pilgrims. 
and they shared the bounty of the earth together. Certainly, the psalmist felt the same way. They had an exquisite way of expressing it. Um, they participated together in understanding the provision of God. And that's what God calls for us to do. Just having a day once a year to say happy Thanksgiving to each other or to be thankful for those things that are unique to my circle or my family falls far short of what God is calling us to do. And that is we are to be thankful for each day. We are to be thankful for each gift. We are to be thankful that we have the opportunity to sit around the mutual table called humanity and to share the resources that we have with others and they sharing their resources with us. And Thanksgiving is a time with the passing of the harvest season to understand how God makes the earth fertile and fruitful as long as we do not manipulate it, take advantage of it, ruin it, or destroy it. You see, the whole countryside, you might say, during certain times of the season, puts on fine garments. It's almost as if the earth is getting ready for a party. Because at the end of the harvest season, and as we move into the Advent season, the great celebration is that God himself became incarnate in human life. And we were able to see the glory of God through that person named Jesus. You see, all of this reminds us of the goodness of God. And I want, I want to think how we relate to the material world around us is so vitally important for this reason right here. How we see the world around us and how we see God are linked to each other. The creation tells us something of the creator. Let me read that again. How we see the world around us and how we see God are linked to each other. The creation tells us something of the creator. So many times when you look out up onto the canvas of the firmament and you see the immensity of it, you see the beauty of it, and you go, oh my gosh, God is great. Well, that's re really beyond my human capability to fully understand it. Think about this for a moment. If we could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second, we would cover in one short trip 37 times around uh, uh, between New York and LA. So that's 37 trips of about 5,000 miles long in one second, right? When we measure the universe to where we can right now through the help of telescopes uh, and, and various spacecrafts that can give to us photos, scientists tell us that the known universe is 93 billion light years across. 93 billion light years across the universe. Okay, that's 37 coast to coast, New York to LA trips every second. You multiply that by 93 billion. 
Can you imagine the amount of zeros behind that, right? It's, it's incomprehensible. So I look up and I see the power of God. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. He talks about how you can see the eternal power and divine nature of God when you look up. But that's beyond us, right? Now, can you imagine the psalmist for a moment? The psalmist could never, ever have envisioned this because they didn't have telescopes. Over 13 billion years old, over 1 trillion galaxies. The psalmist could never envision that. All they knew was the firmament above them, right? Well, we can start to appreciate how big and vast the universe is, even though the psalmist couldn't understand that. But Paul says it shows the eternal power and glory of God. But you know what the psalmist could envision? This. The psalmist could envision the fields exalting by its fruitfulness. They could envision the forest singing for joy in its abundance. Are you following what I'm saying? The psalmist could look up and say, the heavens declare the glory of God. Absolutely. But it's by looking down and looking across at the physicality of the creation that they got the idea that this God that is providing everything for us is really a good God. I want to challenge you to think about that. Think about the goodness of God. Maybe the best way to be thankful this year is, although you can look up, that's great. Even my mind is scrambled by thinking at how big that is. But instead of looking up, how about you look across? How about you look around? How about you relate to what you can relate to? God's world is filled with wonder. And you have seen some things, and I have seen some things that absolutely are astounding to us, right? And what we find is it's telling us what God is like. What would God do this God of love, if he created a world that did not reflect his goodness. God creates that which is not God out of his generous love in order that he might make himself known and flood us with an understanding of what he is really like. You know, we can look up, we can appreciate the power of God, but God seems distant when we look up. But when we look across... When we look around, you see, what we find is that God is relatable to us because we can look and we can see each other and we can see the abundance of what we enjoy in the course of this life. So there's this constant tension between looking up and looking around. But Thanksgiving is a time that forces us to look around. God creates us and the world around us not as God, but as the objects of his divine love. God has taken great delight in the whale and the anteater, in the cedar tree and the rose bush, in the wild asses and the slimy, creepy things of the sea, in the lions roaring for their food, and the, in the little furry animals scurrying around the mountain rocks. And we, of course, stand as outside observers 
of this circle of life around us all the time. And what we really need to do is understand we're not just observers, we are participants in it. And that as we do so, God gives to us the original creation commission to take care of the world around us. Sometimes, just sometimes, we think the Psalms are kind of exaggerated. But what if the Psalms really are hitting the nail on the head? That the psalmist is appreciating every good gift around us in very beautiful ways. Then there is this stewardship. And of course, we could go into the history of the Old Testament, how they were to give the land a sabbatical year, and all these type of commandments that were given so that the creation can continue to flourish. But for those of us here today, maybe we take stewardship more seriously. That if we don't push off those things that are destroying the planet, like pollution, like climate change, like the extinction of certain wildlife. Maybe what we do is we double back and we understand that being a Christian is not about getting out of here and going to heaven, but it's talking about taking this great gift that God has given to us, using but not abusing it, and taking it with great care so that we might see that it will continue to flourish. These poems encourage us and inspire us to work for the renewal of the creation around us. So here's how I'd like to, to kind of think of this third message. God's world is drawn together in time and space, and it inspires humanity to do two things. Number one, to celebrate God's goodness. And number two, to care for creation as our home and not just our commodity. Those two things are vitally important. To number one, celebrate God's goodness. Do we go through hardship? Yes. Do we go through grief? Yes. Do we go through disappointment? Yes. All those things are a part of life, but God is still good. And number two, to care for creation as our home. Not just as a commodity to make money, but as a place that we can thrive. And so today, what I think is important for us to understand is God loves the world that he created, and so should we. In other words, matter matters. Matter matters. Time, space, and matter. Matter matters. In other words, the material world is given to us to enjoy and allow us to live, but God's world should never be abused. So there's three things, I think, that I never like hearing Christians say. Number one is this, this world is not my home. I understand what they're talking about, the hope that we have after this life, the heavens that are promised, the presence of God to which we go. But this is really important to understand while we are on this planet, this world is my home. Number two is I dislike hearing Christians say, well, it's all going to burn anyways. 
It's all going to burn anyway. So they take a couple of verses that are found in the New Testament that I think are metaphorical in, in nature and talks about how God's going to destroy the entire planet and he's going to create a new planet. No, if you look at the totality of the scriptures, and especially as you move into the book of Revelation, there is the promise of renewal. And I think what's important for us to understand is because God is going to renew the physical creation, it does not give us license to use it or abuse it, right? Think about parents that lend their kid a car. You can use the car. Go ahead, take it. But that parent is saying, I expect you to take care of that car. Not to use it or abuse it, to bring it scratched up or trashed, right? But bring it back. It's yours to use, but not to abuse. Number three is this. I don't like when I hear Christians say, environmentalism is idolatry. Environmentalism is nothing more than what are the best ways that we can take care of our planet. This is my father's world and he has commissioned me and he's commissioned you to do the best we can to take care of the environment that we live in. So what I would like to do as I close this morning is in your liturgy, I want you, I'm not gonna read all of these, but I want you to notice at the very back, I've given to you some significant quotations as it relates to creation. Now, these quotations span all the way from the first century, such as the Apostles' Creed, that says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, but it goes all the way into the 20th century. I'm just gonna read a few of them that I really like. This is by Irenaeus, who lived in the second century when he says, the first step for a soul to come to know God is contemplation of nature. The one that follows that is the one I have on the screen here by John of Damascus. He lived in 675 to 749 and he says, the whole earth is the living icon of the face of God. Now most of you have heard of Francis of Assisi who lives several hundred years later. He says, praise be you my Lord through our sister mother earth and Thomas Aquinas, even a little bit later, says any error about creation also leads to an error about God. And you can read the rest of these quotations, but I'm going to close with these two. T.S. Eliot lived from 1888 to 1965. He says, a wrong attitude toward nature implies somewhere a wrong attitude toward God. And the last one is here in the 20th century, uh, Simone Weil, who says, the beauty of the world is Christ's tender smile for us coming through matter. The beauty of the world is Christ's tender smile for us coming through matter. So I hope all of this will help you to think a little bit about Thanksgiving. And I hope that all of you have a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. And I hope you really do appreciate not just those blessings that you normally give thanks for, but expand it this week. Think about the things that God has provided for all of us to enjoy. Give thanks to God for what you see on the hike through the woods. Give thanks to God for what you see when you're in a boat on the water. 
Give thanks to God for what you see through a telescope. Give thanks to God for each other. Give thanks to God for the opportunity to care for each other as living embodiments of the love of God. Would you stand with me and I'll close in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, time, space, and matter. Time, place, and the material universe. All of these three things come together in so many of the beautiful psalms that you've provided for us in the Psalter. Help us to really appreciate beauty as we see it. May it become an impetus for us to praise you, even through our struggles. So we're looking back, Lord, upon this year, and there's many things that we are thankful for. There are many things that we might take for granted, but we put put that on pause, and we look at it, and we say thank you for what you've provided. Thank you for the income that comes through a job. Thank you for the shelter we have in a home. And we look back over our shoulder this past year, and like the year before, we have endured the ongoing pandemic. We have seen some individuals have been taken home to you too early in their life because of illness. We see things that have happened in our world around us, and we wish better for the circumstances that we see. I pray that you'll empower each of us, whether we just are individuals that are trying to do our due diligence by being a faithful employee, a good parent, a good son or daughter, or if it's something even more significant, a community leader or some type of political leader, may we all converge together in this week to give you thanks for things that we often take for granted. Help us, Lord God, to realize that all of these are good gifts that reflect your good nature. Help us, Lord, not to take advantage, to use and abuse the things that are around us simply because it brings me personal pleasure, but help us to understand that we share the planet. And it's the opportunity for us to share resources with each other or to help other individuals or cultures to take advantage of the resources that are around them. Lord, this is a complicated world in which we live. We need your spirit to guide us. We need your spirit to give us wisdom. We need your spirit to comfort us at times, and we need your spirit to congratulate us when we've achieved certain things. Lord, thank you that we have this week to just contemplate on these things. May this week not be filled with so much busyness that we don't stop, reflect, read, and pray, and give thanks for your goodness and the good gifts that you give to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. I hope you have a great, wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll see you soon. God bless you.